Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 204 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live and not from my normal studio, so if it sounds a little bit funny, my apologies, but this is an emergency podcast, so we have a little bit of additional leeway, I think, and joining me this evening is the great Eric Cole. What's up, man? Man, in some cultures, we'd be married. I've, this is like a two weeks in a row with an emergency podcast, you know, and, you know, speaking of being married, you know, um, I'm here because Scott got married, so... Scott yeah. did get married. Uh, shout out to Scott. Congratulations to Scott. He, uh, I guess, saw the Ozuna signing that we're going to talk about because he, he tweeted about it right away and replied to me, so that was funny. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're recording this podcast on a Tuesday evening, about 8.30 Eastern time, because the Braves signed Marcel Ozuna on Tuesday. And um, I want to say this is somewhat typical Braves fashion because the negotiations didn't really get leaked out and all that stuff. But on the flip side... This was one of the primary options that we've discussed, so this isn't quite as blind as we've been in the past on Alex Anthopoulos' moves. Um, as we often do on this kind of thing, I'm going to ask you first, what was your what was your first reaction? I think I actually broke this news to you, uh, unfortunately, um, through through Twitter DM. But um, once once you saw what happened, what was your uh, where did your mind go? I guess. Yeah, so I was actually on daily dish duty, and I was uh, trying to get the hall, all the Hall of Fame stuff covered, you know, and I was kind of doing that stuff, and then. Brad messages me and says, can you record tonight? And I'm like, I can't. Why would we be recording on a Tuesday? And then he, then, then you said, check your timeline. And I look and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm recording a podcast then. Um, so my initial reaction is that I'm, it's a, it stinks to give up a draft pick for a one-year deal, generally speaking. Um, it's not the tip. The, the first one is always the worst when you're signing a guy that has draft pick compensation, because after that it's like it's it's progressively lesser and lesser picks that you're giving up, so it's not great, I should say. But you know when you're getting a pick back from losing Donaldson too, like it doesn't hurt as much, and you know it's almost one of those things where it makes some sense that if you're going to be signing guys that have qualifying offers attached, you might want to do them in but like in the same offseason as opposed to kind of spacing them out and constantly losing your second highest pick overall. Um, but it's I like the deal. I mean, like, what I I am genuinely shocked that Ozuna signed a one-year deal, in theory. But then when I kind of think about it, and I think about what Donaldson did, which was that he signed a deal so that he wouldn't have draft pick compensation attached to him the next year because you can only have it a QO once, and then he can rebuild his value if he has a really good season. Then he can hit the off hit hit off the off season. Um, the Braves can't QO him, and then he can try to get a longer-term deal without having to deal with like the added baggage of. You know, having draft pick compensation so he can get maximum value in terms of dollars. So the one-year $18 million deal is not dissimilar from just signing his qualifying offer with the Cardinals. Uh, I'm, it's a little bit funny to me that he just didn't do that. 
but um, you know, there's there's a lot of reasons why a guy would want to leave a situation beyond just the, the, a little bit of extra money. Um, and I'm sure that he was thinking that he could probably get a better deal than what he get what a qualifying offer would offer. Um, but I like the fit. He's a power bat to put in the middle of the lineup. He's not as good as Donaldson, I don't think, but he has the potential to be as good, if not better, than Donaldson. He's had good seasons recently, and he his profile is particularly weird in terms of how lucky he's been or lack thereof, I should say, in terms of his hard hit profile and things like that. So overall, I mean, I like I like the fit overall, and you know, for a one year deal, it's kind of hard to be too upset. Really, I like it. Yeah, that's kind of where I am as well. In a, in a nutshell, you know, obviously from the Braves standpoint, like you said, giving up a draft pick for a one-year deal is not ideal. But, you know, for me, that's kind of outweighed by the fact that you secure a player who is a good player that helps you now. He's 29 years old, so there would have been some downside if you had to pay Ozuna, you know, a four-year deal, something like that. You know, the projection yeah. the projection on him was three years, 45 million from MLB trade rumors in the offseason. That would have been fine with me if they gave him that deal, frankly. Um, but I could certainly argue easily that 118 is a better deal for where the Braves are right now. So, um, And if you are a prospect enthusiast that is just anxiously awaiting the arrival of Pache and Waters, you probably love this because that way, if they do pop and they're ready to go, you can slide them in the lineup. I'm, I'm always more skeptical of prospects, so I'm not going to be the person that's banging that drum. But I do sort of understand that you may not have wanted to block them, quote unquote. I don't usually subscribe to that, but you know, it's worth saying out loud. That could have been part of the process here. And by the way, Anthopolis did a uh, a conference call after the move and said some, you know, relatively generic things about the deal. Said that the Braves felt strongly about Ozuna's bat. That was a direct quote. Also, he talked about strength, strengthening the bench and uh, making the team a more complete team. And uh, my personal favorite, um, in response to a topic that we discussed actually a couple weeks ago on the podcast, um, Anthopolis, and I'm, I'm quoting now, says Ozuna is, quote, very well liked as a teammate. All, all the reports we got back on him were very strong, very positive. We think there's a lot more in there. We think he's got a chance to rebound to the season that he had with the Marlins in 2017, end quote. Um, so I kind of laughed because we made fun of this, but there was this contingent of Braves fans that were talking about clubhouse issues with Ozuna. Which didn't. Oh, they're still going to be there. <laughs> I'm sure they will be, but when when the, when the GM immediately comes out and says this, it made me laugh um, hysterically when that hit the timeline. So all that to say, I'm not going to spend any time on that right now because that's just silly. Um, there's no reason to believe that he's going to be a problem. So, you know, we'll dive we'll dive in here as we're going to do, but I think we're on the same page that the Braves had to do something. I said that last time on the podcast yep. after the Donaldson move, and this was one of the options that we discussed, and it's a pretty good option. Ozuna is a good player. He's going to help. I do agree that he's not as good as Donaldson, but uh, that was, you know, no one on the market um, in free agency is as good as Donaldson. So if they were not going to make a huge trade, which they, I guess they still could do, um, barring a trade, this is the best, um, well, one of the best two options along with Castellanos that they could do. And uh, doing it for a one-year deal and not impacting your future in any negative way is, uh, is a win. Yeah, I mean, and I, I am a little bit skeptical now that they make any big moves before the season just because, I mean, payroll's at $150 million. That's just outside top 10. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I like, agree. I mean, like, I mean, it would be, be pretty, honestly pretty shocking at this point. It would not be impossible to envision, but because of payroll, because of the hour of the offseason, um, you know, there's one position now that is still you know, a question mark, obviously, but I, I do think that in-season would not be as surprising as before the season at this point. I think this is probably going to be generally the team they have in, a, in April. Yeah, I agree. And I, I I do think that they could still make a move at the trade deadline because the, the money just matters a lot less. And yes. Especially if you're trading for guys that are like in the last year of their deal, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, those just seem more likely now than another move. Now, if they make another move before the, you know, 
before spring training, like my mind would be a little bit blown just because presumably that would increase payroll, you know, you know, depending on the player is, I mean, you know, 160 plus and, you know, we haven't seen that. So, uh, but we haven't seen this either. So overall, I mean, I'm really, I'm really happy overall with the, with, with the move. You know, I think the lineup is maybe slightly worse overall um, in its current composition than it was last year, but probably only slightly. And that can change a lot if let's say Camargo is, you know, good Camargo and, or, Austin Riley kind of finds himself again and finds that form that he had when he, you know, at least at least getting close to what he was when he first got up. So yeah, you have to hope. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 those are those are ifs. Those are absolutely ifs. But you know, things get you know that and like you know a good Dansby year or something like that. You know, all of a sudden the lineup becomes a lot better. So there's definitely some upside there. But having that kind of that bat that you know at the very least is going to be able to do some damage uh, is a really positive thing. For sure. Uh, okay, that, that, those are sort of our top line thoughts. We are going to di- we are going to dive into Ozuna as a player, takeaways, et cetera, et cetera. But before I forget to do this, let's go to a break real quickly, and we'll come right back and talk about everything else that is associated with the signing. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric, let's talk about Azuna first, the player, because, you know, not a lot of Braves fans, a lot of fans in general in baseball just follow their own team. And, you know, I understand that. So let's talk about what he actually is going to be bringing to the table. Um, the easiest way to put this is that he's immediately the fourth best hitter on the team and the fourth best position player on the team. Honestly, um, he's a good player. The last, um, I'll just throw some numbers at you here. Basically, he's averaged about three and a half war per one to two. So basically three and a half four per season, full season that he's, but he's played as a full-time major leaguer. He has a 112 career WRC plus, which is good, not fantastic, but good above average, 12% above league average. There is one encouraging sign from last year that I hope continues. He actually walked at a rate of about 11.3%. That was a big uptick. And if he continues to walk, that'd be very nice. That was one of the knocks on him actually before last season. He didn't, he didn't walk a ton and he's not a huge batting average guy. So I can already hear people being upset about that. Um, you know, I get it. He's not going to be the biggest on-base guy. You're getting him for power more than anything. He's averaged 28 home runs per season the last four years with an 817 OPS. Uh, most of that is in the slugging in the slugging category. So he's a power bat. That is why he was signed um, very clearly as to bring power to the table. There is a piece that I recommend highly. I think I actually mentioned this almost on the last podcast, um, but Mike Petriello from MLB.com wrote a pretty extensive story earlier in the offseason about how, how, um, about how and why Ozuna's advanced metrics look, which look, which look fantastic. Like he really hits the ball hard, et cetera, et cetera. They're not always translated into his traditional stats. So I want to recommend that piece to dive into it. But in short, Ozuna's profile from the advanced standpoint is really good. Like he's top 10% of the league in exit velocity, um, top 5% in the league in hard hit rate. Um, he can run a little bit. He's not incredibly fast, but not incredibly slow either. So, I mean, he's just a power, he's a power bat. He's not a super duper star offensive player, but in an average season for him now, he's basically a 30-ish home run player. Like the steamer projections, which aren't always perfect, project him as 33 homers this year with about three Fangraphs war and a 119 WRC plus, a 502 slugging percentage. So if that is an accurate projection, 
even that's a little bit high. If he's just 80, 90, 80 or 90, 90% of that, that's still what that's worth what you're paying him. Uh, Zips are not come out yet. By the way, Dan Zimborski, who's I know a friend of the podcast, friend of the Talking Chop, dropped his projections for the Braves. I'm going to save a lot of that stuff for later because that's a that's a whole, that's a whole podcast I, itself. I, I, I thought he I thought he dropped those. I thought it was like earlier today. Yeah, they were. They're out. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, they're out. I I uh, the only reason why I'm even. I don't want to dive all the way into them because that's oh, okay. content I thought, you, I thought you were saying they hadn't come out yet. No, they're out. They're out now. Sorry, that's my apologies. But um, that's content for later. But basically, it also paints a picture. We, we don't have Ozuna zips yet because he was not in the Braves projection. Um, but they were projecting a Marquecas-Duval combo in left field with 1.1 Fangraphs War. So if you take the projection into account, that's, that's a two-win jump. It's not always that yep. easy, but it's definitely worth pointing out. So... The bat is the biggest thing here. What do you make of his bat? I know I threw a lot of numbers out there, but in general, he's an above-average hitter. He's not a superstar, but he brings power, and the Braves needed power. Yeah, and, I mean, it's worth mentioning a few things. One is, like, his line last year wasn't super exciting. Like, it was still it was still good. It was a, a 110 WRT plus is a, a perfectly reasonable hitter, right? But, like, that was with a bat bip of 259, which is laughably low. And... He kind of gets this rap. He, he's definitely a bad ball hitter, and he definitely you know has kind of that Vlad Guerrero Sr. thing going where you know if anything's within you know reaching distance, he'll hit it or he'll swing at it. But he's not like a big strikeout guy. You know, a 20% strikeout rate's pretty much his career average, and that's that's perfectly fine, especially for a guy that's you know protected to be a power a power bat. <laughs> especially can, in the modern game when everyone yeah, strikes out like crazy. So yeah, that's actually really not that bad. You yeah. Know, you, one would think that even if he can just like get a marginal increase in his BABIP, like a lot of these numbers become significantly better. Um, if he can kind of learn to kind of not pull grounders so much, which is kind of what Petrilio, one of the things that he pointed out was that you know your BABIP is not going to be very good if all you do is hit pull grounders and they're shifting you. Um, if that's the case, and he can you know like go up the middle a little bit more, maybe go the other way a little bit more with those ground balls, that you know you'll see a jump in his overall production and. Again, he kind of gets this crap being like strikeout prone and being kind of a bad ball hitter that's streaky. Some of that, I mean, some of the bad ball stuff is perfectly fair, but in terms of the, you know, like being a strikeout prone, it's just not true. And you are seeing some good things in terms of his hit, hard hit rate, as well as his walk rate trending in the right direction, too, that makes you think that maybe you can you could feasibly get some more out of him. And again, if you get what he's projected at around a three-win player, um, that's that's perfectly fine. If you But there's reason to think that especially when he's trying to play in a, for a contract in a contract year probably in a better situation in a better stadium for his type of game that he, we could really see you know him really put on a show and that would be a big win for the Braves because on a one-year deal getting a guy like that for this much money I mean it's it's hard to beat that honestly yeah I mean I feel like we're we've said that already about Ozuna a couple times but he's again he's not he's not a superstar I'm not going to tell you that you need to expect that. He did have a star-level season, like Anthopolis even referenced. 2017, he was a star-level player that season. He was almost a 5-1 player. That If that returned, and I'm not going to tell you that it's going to, that's at least a reasonable outcome, though. We've, we've already seen him do it for a full season. If that That's a star-level player. But his baseline is just an above-average player. And, you know, even if it's just from la- – like you, you mentioned last year's stat line at 110 WRC+. Plus, that would still be pretty comfortably the, the number four hitter on this team. At the moment, yep. there are obviously guys who are capable of beating that. But in terms of just projection, if you just told me that exactly, if he's just going to exactly repeat from last year, he's still the fourth best, the fourth best hitter on the team and someone who the Braves would be hitting cleanup most days, I'd imagine. So it's, uh, yeah, the bat is the part that you like about Azuna more than anything else. 
Um, I do want to transition into the other stuff, but you have anything else that you want to say about his bat? Because I feel like the, the numbers kind of paint the picture of what I just think he is. Oh, last thing I want to say that before, before, before I forget. Last year, in 2019, he actually had reverse splits, which is interesting. It was only a one-year thing because his career splits, he's much better against left-handed pitching. He has a 126 WRC plus career against lefties. That's obviously very good. And a 109 against righties, which is still very good. Last year, it was 113 against right-handed pitching and 92 against lefties. I'm not sure what changed there. I'm not an expert on Ozuna necessarily at this point what, in time. What, what was the sample size on that? It wasn't that big. I mean, it's one se- one season sample, and you're, especially against left-handed pitching, which there, aren't, there just aren't that many left-handed pitchers. Um, it's probably not very large. In fact, I'm pulling it up now because I should have written this down. This is great audio, Eric. Here we go. Well, I did want to say, too, in his particular case, sample size might be an issue because he did miss some time. He broke a couple fingers. Yeah, he said a and, couple and, of little little injuries, and that was the yeah. one. Okay, so last year he faced left-handed pitching. Yeah, it's an incredibly small sample size. 89 plate appearances. Yeah, that's not too much. That's and I, Yeah, and again, when you are coming off an injury, too, like, he, like when you break a couple fingers in your hand, and like you miss a month and his numbers I'm reasonably certain are significantly worse after the injury. And like, you know, there's a lot of like one, there's rust Two, there's, I'm sure there's a little bit of hesitancy in terms of like, you know, like I don't want to get hit. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like when you're, when you're hurt, there's just a weird things that can happen, particularly when it's your hands and you're a hitter. And I don't necessarily put a ton of stock in his 2019 numbers in the negative sense, simply because like there was a lot of reasons why that things didn't go particularly great for him. Yes. One was some, and, and multiple types of bad luck were involved. So it's just kind of one of those things. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, okay, let's get into the other stuff. The defense is, I would say, polarizing. He's not a disastrous defender, but it depends on what the numbers that you look at. By the way, he has a gold glove. That's kind of funny. Um, he's not a gold glover. So if you hear him described as a gold glover, that is technically true. He is not a gold glove caliber uh, outfielder. Um, he primarily played left field the last two years with the Cardinals. He was a center fielder before that in Miami, where the numbers were a little bit better. Um, his DRS looks okay the last few years, pretty good in uh, in Miami. Um, but his outs above average, which is the stat cast numbers, um, were, it was pretty bad last year. And some of the some of the metrics don't look don't make him look great. He's a decent runner, but not a speedster. I you know my overall takeaway from the numbers. And again, I've not seen him play every inning, so it's not like I'm an expert on his defense, but putting all the numbers together, I would expect him to be, I don't know, slightly below average, maybe close, maybe trending towards average. Like I think he's not going to kill you. He's not Evan Gaddis, but in left field, he's, he's fine. He's not great would be what I would say at this point in time. I will say that there is one thing that this front office is really good at, and that is like defensive alignments that allow players to play above their level. I mean, Nick Marquez won a Gold Glove with the, with the alignments that were put in place, and kind of how his positioning is, how the positioning in the outfield generally happens. You can kind of play above your head a little bit, and I, I think he's fine defensively. You know, he doesn't have to be really good defensively, but this is a team that is really good at kind of getting guys in the right spots given the situations and kind of get maybe putting them in better situations. I don't know if that's necessarily true in St. Louis. They have some guys that have been really like strong defensive metrics, but those are guys like Harrison Bader who like can is like an 80 runner and can run down anything in center field and guys like that who I don't know if they're necessary. And Colton Wong's another like kind of corner case example of a really good defender, uh, but that's maybe more talent than necessarily positioning. So I'm I'll, I am curious as to whether or not we might see at least a bump towards at being at least 
average to maybe slightly above average once he's kind of put in Atlanta's scheme and kind of in a different situation uh, than he would, than the one he was in in Bush Stadium. Yeah, that's that's well said, and I do think. You know, it's not like he can't run. That that's the first thing that scares you about a guy is if he's just a statue and he's he's not a statue in the outfield. You know, his I would say his numbers are better than Marquez's numbers advanced wise recently. Um, um, I mean, last year was pretty rough, but I, I will say that he's most definitely going to have a highlight or two that's not going to be. It's like going to be like the not top ten type. Yeah, if you uh, my, my, quick, that, that, my, my quick googling was like there were some. Uh, he's kind of. I wonder if this is part of like why people think he's not as good as he actually is. He has some high-profile gaps. Yeah, the one where he was climbing the wall and the ball didn't even make it to the wall was a particularly bad one. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> like he so climbs the wall and then he, like, falls off the wall and the ball falls right next to him. It's That one was genuinely bad. It's one of those, but, like... But really... he, that, was, that was him trying to make a play. It yeah. would have been really impressive if, like, the ball had flown where he thought it was going to go. It's uh, one of those serious things about defense where defense is kind of a black box, and I think everyone agrees with that to some degree. But it really depends on what you what you trust. Because if you just trusted like his Fangraphs overall defense metrics and his DRS and like even his Baseball Reference defensive WAR, they all look fine. But then you look at his outs above average, and it makes him look terrible. So it's like, which numbers do you trust? I am not going to tell you that I have. You know, I swear by any of them without watching a guy play. So you yeah, know, and it's there's I I don't think that anyone's figured it out like a really good general number value no i mean it's i I just don't think anyone has i agree i think you have to use them all and that way you put them all together and you get a pretty i would say a pretty good idea of what a guy is what i will say we talked about castellanos on the last podcast he's a lot better than that like castellanos is like a documented disaster on defense so this is not a i I guess the easiest way for me to put this is i am not worried about his about his defense is he a gold glover is he going to change the game defensively no but is he going to kill you no so Average-ish would be what I would hope for if I was a Braves fan, and there is some room above that if he returns to where he used to be. And I think left field is a spot where you can be hidden a little bit. We've seen that with various guys along the way, and um, when you have Ronald Acuna on the other side, it's you're in good shape, I think. Yeah, that seems pretty fair. Yeah, <laughs> um, base running wise, same thing. Like he's not fantastic, but he's treated as like an average base runner in terms of what I can see. Again, not not a huge like steals guy. He's not going to go out and burn for you on the base pass, but um, his stat cast sprint speed was in the 60th percentile or so, so slightly above average. That's just fine for an outfielder. Um, his career high actually was th- was this last year with 12 stolen bases. I don't really care about that, but maybe if that's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I mean, can run. I mean, I mean, stealing 10 plus stolen bases in this day and age is actually like a non like. It's just because there was like nothing before that. Like I think his career, yeah, his career out before was was five. He had five, three, two, zero, one, and three in the previous six years before that. So I'm not sure if that's real, but it, maybe he just figured something out. I have no idea. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it could just be opportunity too. I mean, those some of those Marlins teams that he was playing on, you know. You kind of didn't want to give away any free outs at all because he was basically like that is true one of one of two players that could probably you know do anything on that on those teams. So I mean, it's a little bit it's just a little bit different situation, and especially when you're being managed by Don Mattingly, uh, a little bit of a different situation too. You know, things like that. I think he was was Mattingly there in 2017. He's so. been there longer than I remember him being there. Last time I looked this up. So yeah, I yeah. think I, think, I yeah. think so. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just another thing to say. He doesn't same thing. He's not going to change the game on the base pass, but also isn't a terrible runner either. Um, Depending on how much you feel about this, I'm going to just kind of put this out there. Fangraphs does those dollar value projections after the season on what guys were, quote, worth. Um, the last four seasons in a row, he has exceeded the $18 million that the Braves just invested in him. 
Uh, he was worth $19 million in 2016, $40 million. As I said before, he was a superstar in 2017. Um, and then 22 and 2018 and 21 or so last year. So again, if he's just the same guy he has been, this is a good deal. And that's kind of where I usually land on all transactions. So for the most part, there are some gray area, of course, and some context needed. But I do think just if you're grading the transaction itself on the, on the surface, avoiding a long-term commitment, um, you know, just plugging a hole. In the same way, it's kind of like Cole Hamels, honestly. It's pretty much the same contract. Hamels is, of course, older um, and it's a different position. But you're basically just plugging a hole for one year and kicking the can down the road in terms of fixing it long-term. Um, for similar reasons, I think just kind of getting up, getting guy, getting, getting a guy that you can trust, you have prospects coming. They're kind of parallel in a lot of ways, even if Hamels is, you know, six years older. Yeah. I mean, like, and like, again, those are, these are two positions that the Braves have real prospects. I mean, like, obviously the Braves have a million starting pitching prospects. They kind of hope that they'll have more than one uh, in Mike Soroka and Matt Max free too, to be fair. But like they, they, they think that they will get some more value out of that farm system, but they don't think they're there yet. So they bring in a guy like Cole Hamels who can both help those young pitchers uh, as well as kind of provide some real value. We, we don't think Cole Hamels is going to be the guy that he used to be when he was in Philadelphia, but we do think he'll be pretty good. Uh, Ozuna is another guy that you're not going to, he's probably not going to be there long-term. You have Christian Pache and Drew Waters. You can give, this buys them a lot of time. They don't have to rush either of those guys to the major leagues. If they, you know, hit out of their minds down there, you know, if Drew Waters or Pache goes wild down there, then you, you don't have to necessarily worry about Ozuna uh, clogging a spot long-term. And then you have another spot in that kind of Nick Marcakis, Adam Duvall, Ender Enciarte spot. Uh, depending on what alignments that they choose to use, and I'm actually pretty curious as to how much we're, we're going action. there next. Let's go. Yeah, there I, 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 I'm, I, <laughs> I, I have my suspicions as what will happen. Let's but, do it. Let's, uh, let's, let's just transition, uh, Eric. It's time. Uh, uh, that's, but, go, ahead, but, go ahead. Yeah, but overall, I mean, it's just a kind of you know, you have it's not it's third base is just trickier because you have one guy that you really want to take that spot long term, but you know he had a really rough debut, so. But in the outfield, you feel like you might at least one of Pache or Waters is going to be able to play every day, you think. And but maybe they just need some more at bats. And signing a guy like Ozuna to a one-year deal where it doesn't hurt your window, but it also kind of allows those prospects to kind of come up later on. I mean, that's those are all good things. There's reasons to do longer deals with like really good players, you know. And then you can kind of worry about whether where the prospects are going to play later. But there are upsides to doing just a one-year deal with a guy like this, and that's one of them. Yep, for sure. Uh, I'm always. Not always, but I would say I'm predisposed to liking shorter contracts just for the flexibility of it all, and particularly when you trust your GM, and I think Anthopolis has generally earned that. So He loves him some one-year deals. He does. Uh, it's kind of funny. The one time that they gave the long-term deal, that was Will Smith. It was just kind of still, – that's still bizarre to me. Uh, I don't know. The Braves have signed two players with draft pick compensation, and those two players in this offseason were Will Smith and Marcelo Zuna. And Will Smith I would for have four lost, years. I, I would have lost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that was not what we expected, but alas – um, okay. The first question that everybody asked on Twitter, even like unprompted, we didn't like ask for mailbag questions, but the first question that I got at, at least, I'm not kidding, at least seven or eight times in the first 10 minutes was, okay, what happens in the outfield? And, uh, I'll say this people, somebody asked me this with a straight face and I'm not picking on them. So I'm not going to use their name, but no, they're not going to platoon Ozuna. That's not going to happen. Uh, you're not going to, no. you're not going to, you're not going to pay $18 million for a, anything but a full-time player. I do think that, Ozuna might have some days off. Like he's averaged, he's still averaged 143 and a half games per season in the, in the six full years. He's been pretty durable. Um, I don't think he's going to play 162, 
but he's a full he's a full time player. I mean, do you agree, you do you agree with me on this? I, I can't imagine him not playing every day, barring like the occasional day off. Oh, Acuna and the only outfielders can play more games is going to be Acuna for ob- very obvious reasons. He's, but, he's young and better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, young, better, better. One of the best players in the game. Period. But um, you know, and just you know, he's he's your leadoff guy. There's a lot of reasons why, but you know. Like I've actually seen people met like Braves Facebook is an amazing. Oh no! Never look, never look at that. No, never. yeah, people are like there. I saw more than one person actively mad that the Braves paid eighteen million dollars for a bench player. What? Like what? They, they, and they said how how are they going to fit him in with Mark Hakis? And I'm just like, oh dear God, he, he's going to play over him. Uh, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, yes. let's not let's not even go to the common denominator. Like let's just say this: he is a starting outfielder. Again, you know. Every day is a relative term, but he's he's going to play the vast majority of the time. Uh, I could I could see some permutations where like he's in right and maybe Acuna's in center for certain you know for certain matchups. Yes, and I could absolutely see this happening. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that because the, the thing is, I think it's very clear that Acuna is the backup center fielder even now. Yeah. Because I mean, they have Ender. Ender is a center fielder. That is his primary value is defensively, and he can do some other stuff. But. Um, Ozuna has played center, but I, I, I'd be pretty surprised if they did not use Acuna in center field instead. I think that would be the primary alignment. Like if, if Ender got hurt or if they chose to go with Marquecas instead, I think it would be Acuna in center. Do you agree with that? He'd be better, I think. Just uh, yeah, I th- yeah, I, th- I think so. I actually want to ask you a question because this is this is getting a little weird because the, the sheer number of like outfielders are going to have now. Do you think that? All three of Marquecas, Duval, and Ender break camp with the team. I mean, honestly, if there is a move left for the Braves, bef- like a major, like a quote unquote major move, it might be with Ender. Like, I, I can't imagine them trading Marquecas, and he's going to. I, I don't team. think that's going to happen. Like, yeah, he's, he's going to be on the team. I, I know. I know that. I know it's he's. You know, they could, it's cheap enough that they can move on. I guess if you want to say that Duval would be the casualty, but the problem with that is like Duval's a better defender. And I don't know. It's and, and as a right-handed bench bat, you need like, it because yeah. he's the only one you have at the moment. I mean, you have Riley. I guess Riley would be the other option there, but he might be starting. Or or, or Tyler Flowers. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, mean? I think like, ideally, if you're a Braves fan, you kind of want Austin Riley to rake and be starting more often than not. <laughs> ideally, yeah. uh, if that I mean, works out for you. And in that case, you have Camargo on the bench. So, you like, do. I, guess. I, I mean, if it's not a trade. The only guy that they could move on from without trading them is Duvall. I guess I guess they could reasonably just I mean, we could do the Duval Marquecas thing until we're blue in the face. Marquecas, they are not going to cut. That's just not gonna happen. Um I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't th- I don't I just don't see that as an option. They could trade Ender. I think Ender does have some reasonable trade value. My issue with that is if it's if it's up if it's up to me, your opening day outfield is Ender in center field. Like I, I think Ender is still the best player of the three. Like he's making the most money, and you know the bat is not incredible, but I think with his defense, I, I think that I, I just think Ender's the best player of the three. So yeah, it's, it's not an easy problem to solve. Like because I mean, no. because again, there's reasons why all three would not get moved. Right. I like, mean, <laughs> Duval Duval is the most disposable just from the lack of. I mean, he's not Marquez in terms of the relationships and the investment and the clubhouse stuff that everyone knows the Braves have with Marquez. And then Ender makes real money, and I thought I think they could trade him, but it wouldn't be like you know he's not in. I don't think he'd be in, in, in like massive demand at the moment. So I mean, it wouldn't blow me away. Like you could open camp with five outfielders, that wouldn't stun me. The problem with that though is that you have a couple of 
Oh, you have at least one utility. Well, I guess both your third baseman can also play the outfield with Riley and Camargo have both played in the outfield. Yep, um, and then you and then you also just sign Echeverria because he you don't have a backup shortstop on the yeah, roster. Yeah, I mean they have and to, then the, the, I mean, Culberson the might end up spot, being. A, no, I mean that could yeah, be, that could play true. into this. Like maybe you can afford to carry all five of them because of the twenty sixth spot, and you have Hatch and Culberson. I don't know. I mean, my guess would be that everyone stays, but you're right that it's it's not a foregone conclusion. I mean, people are just talking about it as if as if everyone's going to stay, and I totally understand why. But, uh, yeah, it's something to monitor, for sure. It wouldn't stun me. The only thing that would stun me is if they traded Marquecas. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be stunning. And I just don't, I don't see that happening. And for no other reason, I'm not sure how many people are going to be, like, clamoring to trade for Nick Marquecas. That, too. But it just organizationally, it would, it would be a pretty stunning turn. Yeah, and it would, be, I mean, it would be kind of, yeah, it'd just be kind of weird. Ender, Ender could be traded. But, again, like, I, I'm going to say this now. If it's up to me, Ender gets the most playing time of those three guys. And... My my main starting alignment, if I'm the Braves, would be Ender in center and the uh, you know Ozuna and Acuna in the corners. That'd be what I would do opening day. If you want to, here's where it gets dicey. If you want to platoon a little bit and have the problem is Marquez is a left-handed hitter. <laughs> um, yeah, and who do you think who do you think is going to be getting those bet those that those platoon opportunities? Ender or Nick Marquez? Well, There's that's, a that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I don't know. It's I I'm I'm intrigued by this. I would, this is just me now, I, I would lean Ender because I think you, of all the things that everyone does, of all of all, all three guys, I think I trust Ender's defense the most of the three. I, I agree with that. So, there you go. Uh, we'll see what happens. Please don't bat him lead off. Yeah, I, I'm just confident that Ozuna and Acuna will be playing every day and the other three guys will share that one spot. Um, and obviously, you, you can get creative with how with who plays where because Acuna is the center. I mean, honestly, Acuna is the center back of center field, and I imagine that Ozuna would be next. So you, uh, this leads me to this, this leads me to my next question. Okay, Uh-oh. we're 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 not sure. We we think that because of the twenty six man roster, that it's feasible to carry all three of these guys, right? It is feasible. Yes. How many Nick Marquez, How many played appearances for Nick Marquez at the end of the season? I mean, how many should it be, or how many? No, no. How, how how many will it be? Here, okay, so uh, are we going to assume health for Acuna and Ozuna in this? Yeah, yeah, that seems fair because they're okay. both. I mean, they, they, they're not guys that like. So pencil in Acuna for one fifty-five and Ozuna for like one forty-five. His his career for average games. games um, sure, that means Mark. Yeah, games. That means Markakis. I don't know, man. Every. Every other response I got on Twitter was some joke about Marquez playing every day. It's like, is it a joke? Is it not? I don't really know. Uh, like, that, that's what I've been thinking about this after two hundred, two hundred plate appearances. I mean, it should be it should be that, or it should be maybe even less than that. But okay, my my brain my brain tells me that they're gonna play him more than they should, and maybe it'll be closer to three hundred. But if Ender's on the team. I just think Ender should play every day against right-handed pitching. I just, I just do. I think he's just better. I, I, I don't disagree. I just, I just want our thoughts out there right now. What we think would happen, assuming all three of these. I honestly, I guess, the answer is I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. Know. Uh, I, I know what I would do. I don't know what the Braves will do because every time Bryant Snicker has been given a choice, he's played at Marquez. So, and they all said the right things. And Thoppel said the right stuff when they brought him back. There was a, there were direct quotes about how he wasn't going to just be given the nod, and he's definitely in a smaller yeah, role, et cetera, et cetera. Be platoons, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. So if you are inclined to believe that, 
he's now in a three-way position battle. And, you know, he might be the best hitter of the three, like just overall in terms of just like baseline trust. I sure. think he, but, he had, you know, but not by so much that he outweighs the defensive bump that Ender gives you. So, and then Duvall is right-handed. So, I, I don't know. It's so weird. Oh. I, like, I, like I, that, that is the one thing that's been nagging at me. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to actually no happen. One, no one does. I mean, until no. until someone says something on the record, whether Anthopolis or Snicker or both, I just don't know. I'm, I'm going to punt the question. And I'll just, I'll just say that I would play Ender the most because of his defense. Uh, but other than that, we will see. Um, last thing in terms of just right now as we're in emergency podcast land. Um, it looks more and more like they're going to go with Riley and Camargo at third base. That does not inspire me greatly, but you know, it's, a, it looks better now than it did without Ozuna. So is that where you are on this? Are you uh, generally okay with this? Or do you feel like the Braves have to do something else? Cause that was, that was a question. That was a question I got as well. Like do the Braves quote unquote have to do something else in the lineup? And I, it w- it'd be nice, but I'm going to say they don't have to do anything else right now. So I still like Riley long term. I I really need to get looks at him, like when he's going because he's probably going to start the season in AAA. So I want to see kind of what the off season work he's done and kind of how he fares and what he looks like at the plate. Coming off of it was a kind of a rough debut in a lot of ways. You know, but not just not just the the struggles against breaking balls, but also you know like the injury and all that other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of good things. There, there's some really good things to take from his 2019 season if you also include the minors too. Um, with Camargo, it, this seems like a non-trivial thing. He, he needs to show up in shape because he looked slow and disinterested and like just was not the same sort of player that we got in 2018 where he was legitimately very good. Um, if he can be that guy where like if he's getting a kind of an everyday role and he like is energized by that and you know because he's played pretty good defense over a third too when he was having to play over there. It's a guy. He's a guy that has some has some real ceiling if he's given playing time and you know he is in shape. But he did not look in shape and he did not look like he was, you know, up to game speed. I guess is the best in game shape. I guess is the best way I know how to describe it. So he's kind of another guy that I want to see before I kind of make any determinations. But between those two guys, I still like both of them, and that's the important thing. Is that I mean Riley could be better than Ozuna this year. That is entirely possible. Now, how possible it is, I'm not sure. But I do know that he's a guy that has a really high ceiling with the, the sheer amount of raw power that he has. And he, we've seen him get to it for stretches in the major leagues. You know, if he can be that guy, then all of a sudden your lineup becomes a lot more interesting when you have that sort of production because you really don't need that much from the other three spots in the lineup. Yeah. Um, no, you just don't. You, you just don't. If, um, if Austin Riley... You know, I, I never really bought it. People people got mad at me at the time. I, you know, he was always going to not be the guy he was when he arrived because it was just was not sustainable in any, in any way. Well, yeah, he was going to hit like 70 home runs if he did that. I yeah, mean, so – but if he – you know, even as someone who has a admitted Austin Riley, I would say – skeptics feels too harsh, but just someone who has my guard up there, he does have talent. And if he popped this year, I would not be surprised by that at all. Like he – the power is real. Um, I think you just can't bank on it, which is why having two guys – there to kind of, you know, play off each other and have one of them hopefully get there for you is helpful. I don't love third base right now. I think, you know, that has to be said. It's not a area that I'm super excited about on this team. But it's again, not a it, disaster. it looks better. It looks better now. Like if if you were to go into the season with that with that third base platoon, a platoon in left field, 
plus Ender and Dansby and catcher, like that's rough. But now that you have Ozuna, who I think you can kind of bank on to be pretty good, now there's only two or three areas that you don't love, and they're not disasters like you said. It's more like league average or maybe slightly below that, but it, it'll, it'll be fine. I'm not – and again, going back to the beginning of this podcast, they could still add probably in season, but they could still add. They, they don't have to be done now like for the duration as we saw last year. So the payroll's high. It's 150. That's you know, shouts to them by the way. We I was a, I am I've been a very vocal skeptic of them being willing to pay, and the payroll is up, so I will I will eat the crow on that one. They've spent some money here and shouts to Liberty Media for opening the wallet a little bit there. Um so yeah. I mean, I guess the problem is, if you want to say that, I'm not sure this team's better than it was last year. <laughs> it's more expensive. Yeah, and and it's it's kind of a little bit more debatable now. Just it kind of depends on how much you think the bullpen being good is going to matter. You know what I mean? Like on a war basis, it does feel it does feel worse. Uh, and you can you can take some optimistic looks, and you can see this team is relatively close. Or you could kind of take some more realistic ones, and you take it slightly worse. But it definitely looks a lot better than it did. You know, when Donaldson signed with the Twins, it looked like you know the, there could be if they didn't do something quickly, which they did to their credit. You know, this like all of a sudden the NL East is like a total dogfight and kind of a a mess just because I mean the Nationals kind of they're not better either. You know what I mean? No, I mean, and at the end of the day, comparing Ozuna to Donaldson is perilous because Donaldson's just, he's just better. I mean, it's not one versus one, but you know, you can, you better believe that throughout this season, if Ozuna has a slump, people will be talking about Donaldson. It's just what's going to happen. Um, so be prepared for that. Well, that's okay. I mean, when Donaldson was only hitting like 250 for the first month of the season, <laughs> they were talking yeah. about he was like the biggest bust in franchise yeah, history. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be silly, but it's it's going to happen. And again, Donaldson is better. For 2020, Donaldson, I, you have to project him to be better than Ozuna. But you avoid the long-term deal. You know, I would say it's possible Ozuna's better than Donaldson this year. It's not I mean, likely. No, I wouldn't call it likely, but it's possible. It's possible. Because, that's because, just because options. Donaldson. Yeah, Donaldson's getting older too. I mean, and we—he's getting older, and we—and because as we said before, Ozuna does have a season on his resume that was a five-win year where he was a legit star. So, those two things coming together—it's again not likely, but there's enough, there's enough upward trajectory where it's kind of inspiring. So, you know, I'm not going to try to end the podcast on a low note. I, I do think that the Braves are clearly better than they were yesterday, um, and Ozuna helps to, helps the lineup to look quite a bit better than it did before. There are obviously issues and. We'll dive into those. We have plenty of we have plenty of time to talk about them between now and spring training. But um, feeling better about the team now than you were yesterday, unless you just hate Ozuna for no apparent reason. He's just he's obviously better than the guys they had before. Yep, and I know there are a few of you already out there because you've been in my mentions, and I know you hate him no matter what he's going to do. But I will say this: like now that this has happened, I feel I feel confident that the Braves should be maybe slightly favored to win the NL East again, slightly. Um. I don't. I know there's reasons to not feel that way because of the Nationals' rotation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that. But I I do understand what you're saying. I mean, yeah, it's I, one I, of those things where we're gonna get in trouble either way with some fans that want us to pick the Braves every year. Um, you know, the Braves were really good last year. They won the division, so it's not like they can't do it again. They're not. I'm, all know. I'm saying, all I'm saying, Brad, is that the last two seasons there's been one talking chop writer that has picked the Braves. To win the division, and you're talking to them right now, and I think that they're favorites again. So uh, now that they've added the bat, uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I did not feel that way. I was gonna yesterday. say it's harder to. It was harder to pick them yesterday. Now I think it's perfectly reasonable. If you told me yesterday, as currently constructed, that they were gonna win the division, 
um, I would have told you that's not what I said. <laughs> but now it is a little bit easier. And it might seem like it's an overstatement, but honestly, they're probably two wins better than they were yesterday. Just yeah, that's just the way that works. And that, I mean, that seemed like much, but two wins that, might win the that, division. And, and that might be a conservative estimate, like depending yeah, on could what be more. Yeah, um, depending on how you feel about the guys that he's replacing and what you think about Ozuna. But there you go on that. Um, we've done 40, 40 something minutes on Ozuna. That's probably enough for now. We'll obviously talk about him more as the off season continues. Um, we talked about Hetcheveria earlier. He's he's on the team. Uh, let's spend Great two legend. seconds on Felix Hernandez because um, that happened. It was not emergency podcast worthy, but Felix Hernandez, as in like future Hall of Fame potential pitcher, Felix Hernandez might and be on the team. Almost, and, and who was almost a brave the first time through. Uh, <laughs> that's that's a thing that's happening. Uh, Felix is bad now, but yeah. uh, it's not impossible that he could find it again. I don't know. His stuff's not, like, not great anymore, but it's a minor league deal. Who cares? It's, it's, he's, it's an invite to spring training. He doesn't he, like even if he makes the major league roster, it's only a million dollars. Like he, you have a Hall of Fame pitcher, at the very least, you get you get your young guys to get to talk to Felix Hernandez, who for the vast majority of his time in Seattle was one of the best pitchers in baseball. You know, that's just fine, absolutely. You know what I mean? Bring him in, uh, and because if if he's good enough to make it at that fifth rotation spot. Where, like, the competition's real there, you know what I mean? There's some real pitching prospects there, and if he's good enough to get that fifth spot, then the Braves are in a good spot with a guy who, you know, has knows how to pitch and has been around for a long time. If he can find if he can find himself again, like, that's that's all upside. But you know, I also am kind of with you. You know, hasn't been good the last couple years. You know, father time is undefeated. He, he is probably, he's probably done. I'm not telling you that he's definitely done. But the signs, the last two years, the signs have been there that he probably has nothing left. But the fact that you just, you're risking nothing, even if you just have him around, that isn't a bad thing. And if it works, it would be an awesome story. Absolutely. So I'm cool that people that were upset, I don't understand that. <laughs> just he's, any he's, minor league he, deal does not bother me. I mean, yeah, it could have been anybody and that's just not going to bother me. They're, they're bringing him in in the off chance that the old young arms can't lock down a spot and he is good. Like that is literally the only like the, he's not denying anyone any opportunities just by being his putting his signature down on a contract. And I, and I do think that he'd have to show a decent amount to win a job. Like they're not going to give him a job if he doesn't earn it. It's not a situation where he's blocking somebody just by being there. If he shows yeah. enough to where they're going to where they actually have him on the team, that means he showed a pretty good amount in spring training. I would imagine. Yeah, like the like the stuff is good, not just the bar, the, not, yeah. not just the results. No, like, they're not going like, to like, go on results for spring training. Yeah, it's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah four scoreless innings in a spring training game isn't no. going to get done. No, no, it will not. Um, and at, at the very least, they're going to, you know, as always, you can never have enough, enough, enough arms. So if they think that he's a major league quality pitcher still, then you have a major league quality pitcher for a million dollars. And that it's not a bad thing. Nope. Maybe, maybe, he should, maybe, he's, maybe he's this year's Josh Tomlin, Eric. <laughs> wouldn't that be funny? That'd be, that, oh, good, another bullpen. Arm. If Felix, if Felix was your long man, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be incredible? Like twenty twenty Atlanta Braves, Felix Hernandez comes in as a long I, man in the fourth inning. I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't think you'd do that. I don't think I so. Think you, either, I think I think you just retire. I think you would too, but I just it'd be funny. I would really enjoy that. And <laughs> that'd, that'd really I've funny. always loved Felix, so like I, you know, candidly, I, I hope it works. I don't think it's going to. Just as a my, my prognostication hat. I would imagine it's not going to work, but man, it'd be awesome. I've always loved Felix, so he's, if he can figure he it out. so good for so long yeah. and was underappreciated outside of Seattle. They love him there. but They know. do. Uh, also, Braves fans will probably hate him because he wears his hat, he, he wears his hat sideways. It'll be incredible. Um, there'll, oh, be, there'll be all kinds of takes. It'll be awesome. <laughs> and articles. 
No, I'm kidding. Again, I don't think that he's going to make the team, but if he does, it's all upside. All right. Uh, we'll save everything else for later. I mean, we, we could do a deep analysis on, on Hetcheveria, but let's just not. He was pretty good last year. With the <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you can save the deep dive with Hetcheveria for Scott. We'll do that when Scott comes back from his honeymoon. Uh, all right, Eric. Well, thank you for joining me, my friend, to chronicle this emergency podcast. I have no idea when the next podcast will be. We've kind of just been waiting on news for much of the offseason, and uh, I think the news well is going to dry up for the most part after this. I could be wrong, um, but I actually have to travel. This actually worked out pretty well for me. I have leave town tomorrow for some work stuff, and uh, probably no podcast this weekend, barring another crazy move like this, but it worked out. Um, you have anything to plug? I know, by the way, we will talk prospects at some point, I know you're going to, I'm sure you're going to do Road to Atlanta at some point as well about the prospect list. I will say now publicly, kudos to you guys for all the work on the prospect list. It's a must read every year. We will, we will dive into it on this podcast network, whether it be on this pod or your pod. Um, but kudos to you guys. Thanks. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the guys put in a lot of work into that. And, you know, we got shouted out a little bit, but that's kind of the way it goes. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the lists that are coming out now, those organizational lists are starting to look a lot like ours did, but and we got there relatively quickly uh, without those lists. So we're we're feeling pretty good about where we have guys ranked. Uh, Shoemake was the one that got us the Yelp because our ranking was a little lower than what other folks would have had. Uh, but we're kind of more just taking a wait and see approach on him. But beyond that, I mean, everyone seems to really enjoy those lists every year. We every time we put them out, we have a lot of fun writing them. Uh, it's kind of our big like our two big flagship projects as on the minor league side. So I'm. Um, glad that everyone enjoyed them and i'm also glad that it's done because it's a big project to manage yeah i uh, have some experience not not on this exact thing but um, managing projects in the uh, sports content world so i can only imagine the kind of work that you have to put in to edit all that stuff and put it together and yeah great stuff and uh as i said we'll talk about it on, on this pod at some point and i'm sure you guys will talk about it in audio form too so Check out that whenever it happens, and we'll be here. Yeah, the plan the plan is Thursday for Road to Atlanta. We'll, there you go. We'll 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 see if that holds, and if I can round up round up enough people <laughs> to actually do it. But we should be able to get it done. It'll happen in in the near future, I'm sure. And uh, that's still on the same feed. So if if you're already subscribed to this podcast feed, you're in good shape. If you're not, click the subscribe button. It's a great place to be, and you get two po- two podcasts for the low low price of zero dollars. Um, Road to Atlanta and this and this show, which often also features Eric. Eric is the star of this podcast network. Because he's on both shows, so <laughs> I don't know about all that, but I I certainly appear frequently. There you uh, go. You are the leader, I think. So at least since Road to Atlanta started, you uh, you lead in, in in total podcast episodes because you I, I, all I, of those. I I I still think Scott's ahead of me on on TC appearances, although I'm catching up quickly. That might be the case on overall, but from the time Road to Atlanta started, uh, you definitely win because um, you have that show too. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks to Eric for joining me and uh, Marcel Zuna. Now part of the Braves. We'll talk about him much more in the coming months. But uh, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend, and we'll see everybody next time.